Hello and welcome. My name is Ryan Johnson, and this is the Saltcast. Today, I welcome Paul Johnson and Dan Peisner. Guys, welcome. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having us on today. Yeah, I mean, it lessens the burden on me, so it's great to have you guys on. <laughs> Love it. But uh, Dan, the world traveler. It's been a while since you've been on the podcast, and uh, grateful you could make time to be on with us. Happy to be back, Ryan. Um, as you guys can see, there's light bulbs on the you know, little refrigerator back there. Those are all my yeah. failed ideas I had today. Oh, dang. <laughs> Just three? Three failed ideas? Not too bad. Just three. I mean, you got to <laughs> put them somewhere, you know. I like I'm it. not ready to put them in the trash yet. But um, the idea that uh, I've been stewing over, we've been stewing over about today's topic is a glow and ready to go. But uh, I wanted to talk kind of about, and maybe we can cover uh, this a little bit, but kind of what triggers a sales tax audit? Quickly answer that question because we have a number of different podcasts talking about, you know, everybody is, you know, there's not any, any business that is really safe from a sales tax audit. Um, but really, you know, in our pre podcast chatting, we talked about kind of the three different things that you could kind of reduce the risk of an audit, not, you know, of, getting away from not being under audit, but maybe right. like the three things to make you audit ready, like yeah. in preparation. You want to make you certain know. that you're equipped to handle the audit, right? Yeah. Maybe you've been under audit once or twice. Maybe you've never been under audit. Those who have been under audit, you don't want to have, um, you know, you don't want to have the same bad experiences of being audited if you weren't prepared or properly equipped to handle the audit or maybe you've never been audited and you're like i don't i hope i don't get audited knock on wood right but if i am audited <clears throat> what are some areas in which i can be better equipped or prepared to handle the audit i'm grateful that we have dan on with us today because dan uh handles um and does a lot of consulting and arguing with auditors but also consulting and um strategizing with our current clients when it comes to audits so I'll, I'll turn some time over to dan but i think uh dan tell us a little bit about ways in which we could encourage our listeners uh, if there are any specific ways that come to to mind i know there are a number of ways that clients can avoid being audited you know if if that's even possible what are some areas or ways in which they can avoid it uh, well thanks paul um so as far as avoiding being audited, it's kind of hard to know. Uh, every state has their own special sauce for how they right. choose companies for audit. Um, truth be told, a lot of times it's a certain industry. A state will decide, you know, we think this industry's got some definite issues. We're noticing a lot of people doing it wrong, so we're going to pull, we're going to pull this NEICS or SIC code. Each state a little different, and we're going to take a percentage of them, these these uh, sellers, and we're going to gener generate audit inventory on that. And so we're going to, uh, like, 
construction has been one that the, the Texas has gone after for a while. And whereas Illinois is going after e-commerce sellers because they've identified that a lot of the local taxes are not being done right with with uh, Illinois' yeah. unique brand of, of ROT versus use tax. And so they'll generate uh, a number of those audits and look at that issue. So it's uh, avoiding an audit is very difficult because uh, if once you get big enough, by virtue of your revenue, you're, you're, you become more likely to be audited. If you've got a high number of exempt sales, sometimes that'll get you audited. Or if your file, if you've not been audited in a while and you suddenly file, a, you realize I've overpaid sales tax on this issue. I'm going to file a big refund claim and get tax on all these exempt purchases. We see this a lot of times with manufacturers. Uh, the state will say, okay, great. We'll look at this. But let's see if you're doing it wrong on on the the sales side as well. We're going to do a full audit and see if we can't recoup some of this. So, it, it's it, uh, audit avoidance is very difficult to do. <clears throat> it's not like on the federal side where you can just you know, uh, avoid the home office deduction in some instances. <laughs> Be very careful with the R. Everybody knows the R and D credit is get can get oh. looked at. So it's <clears throat> it, it's it's not quite so black and white as avoid these issues or sales tax it's a lot more random and so it's um i'd say it's less about avoiding an audit and more just being prepared for when that auditor does come knocking at your door yeah you for sure can you know make certain that you're in compliance you know you're filing and remitting your returns you're reporting those correctly you're not making you know erroneous mistakes on the returns you can make certain that you know you're charging the applicable amount of tax but at the end of the day uh, avoiding the audit, I mean, oftentimes just a luck of the draw, you know, it's like playing audit roulette and whether or not you get stuck or not. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the three three ways in which we can, you know, be more prepared or equipped to handle an audit, Dan. Sure, sure. So I think the, the first way is to make sure that you have, <clears throat> make sure that your sales records are ready. Uh, one of the things that every, assuming that your sales are taxable in that state and it's not a pure purchases audit, uh, one of the things that that auditor is going to want to do is they're going to want to audit your, they're going to do a sales reconciliation. And that means they're going to want to see for each month when you were said, if you said you had $500,000 in sales, they're going to want to see the records that underpin that. They're going to want to see backup for your gross sales for any they're going to want to see if you've got a if you've got uh, returned merchandise they're going to want to see that <clears throat> and so what we we recommend is for every month that you file a sales tax return put the rep behind it the records that that were pulled from your system that supported the numbers on that return be it a uh, something out of quickbooks be it a a tax a sales tax report from from an ERP system but whatever was used report underpins that uh, especially with with any kind of local tax identifying information and uh, one thing that's that's sometimes overlooked behind that uh, if you are making if you are making taxable uh, if you, you're making purchases in the state and you're buying from out of state and you need to accrue use tax have all that detail also behind that sales tax return because uh, if you are if you are making purchases in the state and you're accruing use tax, if you don't have the detail to back that up on many audits, what an auditor can do is just say, I see that you paid the money, but if you can't tell me what you paid it on, 
I'm not going to give you any credit for it. And uh, we've had some unfortunate cases where the, the state essentially got free money, where we it was very difficult for to have them give any credit. So you you want to have having that ready to go at audit time is is very important. When it comes to those use tax accruals, it's it's quite alarming because you know you you would think that the state would have a way in order to you know reconcile what you paid versus what they calculate or what they are uh, estimating or calculating tax on and then offset those but uh, it's surprising um the state's unwillingness i think in certain instances to say yeah i can see you paid that three thousand dollars this month but i'm calculating you owed six thousand dollars and so you need to pay six thousand dollars it's possible that that that, that Three thousand dollars was accrued on something you didn't owe on, and the auditor is not necessarily even concerned about what you remitted use tax on that you didn't necessarily owe. You know, any overpayments of use tax—they're um, just concerned about what they deem as taxable and what you should be remitting use tax on. Yeah, and and in in most states, the there is going to be language that states that the, the taxpayers required to keep adequate records. And so that's what they get you on is, is if you don't have records to document that and doesn't necessarily have to be in the exact format they want. But if you cannot substantiate uh, what you paid it on, then then a lot of times they can disallow that because it does yeah. put it puts the burden on, on the taxpayer. And so, sure. a, again, it's you know a lot of people will try to rustle that up when they get audited. And it can be done, but it takes a while. It's a lot harder, and there's the risk that that those records are unavailable. They've been lost. Right. Uh, right. You know, the comp that company you bought it from is out of business now, bankrupt, nobody to call. So it's just yeah. better to 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 have those records ready ahead of time. It's also surprising to me by the request of auditors to have you provide a copy of the sales tax return with the data. Because from my perspective, you know, if the state of California is coming to audit me, surely they have record of the returns that I filed and providing the data. Sure. OK, but do I need to actually provide a copy of the return as well? I mean, you can usually get away with not providing that. They do have that data. They've got a report that they pull right off the bat that gives them all that data. But for for purposes of, of detailing your records, as a, as a taxpayer, it, it's always best to just have that return with everything behind it. It's nice. It's neat. Yeah. An auditor can, as they're paging through it, they can kind of trace it from, from top to bottom. And, and it's just much better for, uh, it, it makes it easier for them. And, and this is one of those instances where if you can make it easier for the auditor, uh, it's going to make your life easier. Amen to that. Okay, so we got sales tax returns and the backup to go with the sales tax returns. You got the uh, use tax accruals that also support the returns, what you're reporting use tax on. But what are the other two, Dan? So the, the second item to watch out for is going to be your purchase records. And again, this may not be may not be every taxpayer for every state. If you're if you're only making sales into that state and you haven't had a single purchase, then you probably will not need to provide records. And, and I'll come back to that in a bit. But with uh, assuming that you've got a physical presence in the state and you've got offices or you've got some kind of purchasing going on uh, or it's your home state auditing you is in a lot of cases, the auditor is going to want to make sure that you paid sales tax or use tax on every taxable purchase you made. And typically they're going to start with your federal depreciation records. Uh, which can be uh, sometimes we will we'll often advise clients 
instead of using the federal depreciation table to use an actual asset depreciation table so they're not getting things actual non non-purchased assets in there things anything intangibles goodwill etc if an auditor sees it on a list oftentimes they say i assume it's taxable until you prove to me otherwise so better to start exactly. with a pure a much more you. much more pure list uh so for make sure, sure for for any of those that you're you start ha getting those assets ready uh oftentimes for for smaller companies the state's going to look at every single taxable purchase uh, on a fixed asset list uh, yeah. For larger companies, they may they may sample some assets, but typically, especially for the large ones, they're going to look at it. So, uh, if you're, I'm not saying that you need to pull every single purchase you've made for for three or four years, but certainly, uh, if you've got your documents offsite, once you get that audit notice, uh, go put your request into Iron Mountain to have the the boxes brought into the <laughs> office. Uh, pull, start getting ready to pull right. things out of archive. Make sure you you have an idea of. Right. What that process is going to entail for your document storage and document retention, uh, yeah. And also, it put if you're when you get audited, make sure if your company has a a document retention, document destruction policy, you put a notice you're being audited, and uh, you don't know how long it's going to take, so don't go shred that late those these records right. years. You know, keep them, preserve them until the end of the audit and, and any pertinent appeals. Uh, mm -hmm. But but get those ready. Uh, you don't know typic awesome. typically for expenses, things that are not fixed assets. Uh, the state's going to sample those, or even just look at you know look at a couple in a category and get comfortable. So you don't. Right. I'm not saying just empty them all out and get them ready to hand to the auditor, but you know kind of get them ready so you're so that you're they're on, at hand and and ready when the auditor really identifies what they're going to look for. For sure. And and, uh, and and kind of go from there. And so that's, I think I think you bring up a good point there in, uh, you know, distinguishing when it comes to purchases, you have in-state expenses, fixed asset acquisitions, whatever they may be. But if I'm a if I'm a California-based company, my headquarters are in California, and I'm being audited by Florida, and I don't have any presence in Florida, then I mean, I don't want to provide them my California depreciation, my California fixed assets, my California expenses. No, no, no. This is specifically related to Florida. We could talk strategy when it comes to audits on another podcast, but uh, you know, it's important to realize and understand your your industry and where you're purchasing and using those goods or services you're providing, you're purchasing, and how it pertains to the audit specifically. So I think that's a yeah. good point. Dan. And that actually brings up that point I said I'd come back to. One thing we are seeing in a couple of states is you can tell them that you have no presence in that state for their because their audit process says they need to look at purchases and fixed assets. They may still want to look at some of them. Uh, the approach that I've that that we've kind of used on that is set the expectation that that you'll let you'll let them see some of the purchases. But this is not a game of if you are missing this one invoice, we are going to automatically assume it somehow was in their state and not taxed. That That's not the game right. we're playing here. This is yeah. not a gotcha. You are going to provide them <laughs> just enough records to give them the peace of mind that you have no operations in that state. Um, exactly. And, and that's an area that some some consultants may have another approach with. Uh, but I, I've I've found in the, when that's come up that that's kind of the easiest approach is, is get them understand what they're trying to do and get them past it as fast as possible with setting the expectation that that uh, you know that we're going to give you documentation to prove that it is as we say it is 
but if something's missing, we're we're, we're not going to auto default on this. Yeah, for sure. No, that's 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 good. That's really good. All right, I think that brings us to our third point. All right. Uh, so our third point is uh, kind of a combination. <clears throat> so we've we talked about having your returns ready. We've talked about having your purchases. Now we're going to talk about having your taxability ready. Uh, and this kind of takes the two form of two things. One, <clears throat> if you're not charging tax on absolutely everything, uh, some kind of a taxability matrix uh, that simply says yep. why you're not charging tax. And that may be because it's a grocery yep. item in some states that may be yeah. uh, dietary supplements. Uh, it was one that we've seen a lot with diet, especially for e-commerce sellers, dietary supplements may not be taxed in a lot of states. And so being able to say these SKUs are all dietary supplements makes things much is, is going to be critical to have. Uh, and so a, a taxability matrix and, and that comes into knowing your, knowing your industry and knowing how that state should tax you. And then the other part of that is certificates. So if you're selling to, if you did not charge tax on a on a taxable item, the state's going to is going to set that up and, until and unless uh, you provide them with a a valid uh, resale or exemption certificate from that customer. And so you you want to typically have those ready. Um, every state's a little different on certificates. Some will ask you at specific points. Some will actually issue you a, a form letter that says, you know, you now have X number of days from this point to give me all of your certificates. If you run into that, give them the kitchen, everything in the kitchen sink, just so that you've met your burden. If not, uh, some states will only say you have to provide, you know, here's, we'll, we'll look at your non-tax sales and pull a sample and say, give me certificates for these. And if you give right. them all this, and then they, they project based on that. So just be ready have your certificates ready, make sure they are complete. I, I cannot emphasize this enough. I was uh, just gonna say the same thing. Purchasing departments get lazy on these and they fill out, mm -hmm. they don't fill out the, they don't fill out the seller information. Sometimes they don't fill out their own information. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't sign them, they don't date them. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of auditors sometimes will- the, Sometimes the sales guy who's trying to, you know, get the, the deal in, they're not as diligent either in making certain that that certificate is complete, so. Oh, the, the, the sales guys oftentimes- Sales guys aren't trained on what a complete certificate looks like in many cases. That's and that's, too. <laughs> that, that's not a, a rag on the sales guys. That's not their job. Uh, that's, right. they don't. So uh, you, you want to look at your certificates and uh, many states kind of will, if you have a certificate ready at the time of audit, they will give it, they will give deference to that. They'll give you, uh, they, they'll accord what's called good faith and say, you know, it's, as long as you had no reason to suspect that this is not a valid certificate, uh, even if it ultimately should have been taxed, we're going to let this certificate stand. Um, right. Whereas, in if and if you uh, any certificates you provide after they ask, uh, or that you go out and get after that point and bring back, uh, they can they can subject those to additional scrutiny, up right. to and and in many cases including actually calling the the purchaser and grilling them as to what was done with it. Exactly. And so that's yeah. uh, having those certificates ready early on, getting them pulled, getting them ready, getting them making, if they're not complete, you know, if it's the seller information, sometimes I'll just tell the client, fill that out with your information since you're the seller. <laughs> right. 
Um, you should have done it anyway at the time. Uh, if it's if it's a if it needs a date or a signature, I'd send that back and sit and get them to to do it, uh, just yeah. for sake of completeness. Um, yeah. But those those are some of the the big issues that we've seen. Certificates, oftentimes they call them a low hanging fruit for auditors because if it's yeah. not complete, exactly. they can just disallow it, and that's that's easy it's money so for them. Yep. It's it's funny the certificate game that auditors play. I mean, hey, these cells weren't taxed according to your data. You owe tax on them because I know you're selling, you know, keyboards and 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 mice, or uh, so you didn't charge tax. You should have. Well, I mean, I I, I sold a thousand of them to you know this wholesaler. Clearly, they're for resale. Well, no, not clearly because uh, you don't have a certificate <laughs> on file and you didn't charge tax. So mm -hmm. yeah, you owe tax on those. So then trying to go back to that wholesaler to get the certificate after the fact, you know, hopefully they're still in business for one, but B, hopefully you can get a certificate from them at that time. Otherwise, yeah, you're going to be left on the hook from a, yeah. from a tax perspective, plus penalty and interest that the auditor is going to impose because you didn't collect it at the time of the transaction. So um, having proper documentation certificates, whether they're exemption certificates, you know, you're selling to a manufacturer who's exempt from tax, or you, it's a resale certificate, you're selling to a wholesaler, whatever the case may be, uh, they can provide a, a lot of a comfort, peace of mind, a lot of uh, confidence when entering into an audit, as well as the taxability matrix you bring up, Dan. I think, uh, you know, making certain that you understand the products and services that you're selling and whether or not they are taxable. I mean, especially in the service industry, uh, I mean, taxability of services just ranges. I think most people would think that services are exempt from tax, and by default, yeah, sure, they are. But there are a lot of states that enumerate a number of services, and we're seeing an increase in that. So being cognizant and aware and mindful of products and or services that you're selling into the state, whether or not they're taxable, and having a simple matrix. Now, granted, the matrix isn't going to you know, be reason enough why you didn't charge tax. It's always got to default to the legislation, but uh, it at least provides a roadmap. Hey, auditor, we're aware, we're aware, we provide these services that are not subject to tax uh, or these goods, whatever the case may be. I think it's wise. Yeah, yeah, and that's, and and to your point, I mean, that having a, a, a matrix, let's say that you, you, you have one item that you, it turns out you were taxing wrongly. If you, if you can identify that and specifically code that, you can make sure the liability, you can work with the auditor, make sure that liability is limited to exactly the item that you coded wrong. You can have that pulled yeah. out and detailed. Uh, you, yeah. th that's something that you can identify exactly and, and not have that contaminate a greater sample. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I think um, this is a great discussion, but I want to end this podcast with a quote from Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Abe Lincoln. So the quote goes like this. If I had nine hours to chop down a tree, I would spend my first six hours sharpening my axe. Boom. I love that. So, so, you know, it's better. To, the best way to fight a sales tax audit is to be prepared. Mm -hmm. Got to make certain you go into the audit with a sharp axe. Sharp axe. <laughs> just, just documents uh, in order. Yeah, just don't sharpen your documents. The paper cuts are bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if the paper was sharp, it wouldn't hurt so bad. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
experiments to be had later. I mean, let me go put that love you know, light bulb on the fridge over there. <laughs> that was one of my failed ideas. But uh, guys, thank you so much uh, for jumping on Saltcast today. And we, we hope to see you on another one. Thanks, Ryan. You're welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us.